All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. So coming into that pause, coming into the menopause, coming into the melatonin pause, the andropause, it's kind of clearing the hormonal noise to enable us to allow other things to speak forward and to direct us like the base of our intuition. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 203 of the Biohacker Babes. I am Renee and I'm tuning in from Las Vegas today and my co-host Lauren is here. Hello. Hello. Hi, tuning in from Maryland today. Yes, and we have a returning guest today. We have Dr. Deanna Minnick coming back on. Oh my gosh, we had so much fun with her the first time that we had to have her back and this episode was even better, I think. Um, but before we jump into that, <laughs> I want to throw my pop quiz of the day at you, Lauren. Since we're going to be talking about melatonin a little bit today, I wonder what is the most interesting thing that you have learned about melatonin this year? Ooh, this year? Ooh. Uh, ooh. <laughs> or maybe in general, what do you think is the most interesting thing about melatonin that most people maybe don't know? Um, I think there's a lot of surprising connections. I think what's popping into my head is the dopamine melatonin connection that high dopamine depletes our natural production and reserves. I'm thinking about what you asked Deanna before we got on, or you, you made a comment about clients asking if their children should take melatonin because their sleep is bad. I'm just thinking, you know, our culture in general is just 
constantly consuming. We are mostly in this kind of high dopamine state. And more and more of us are seeing poor sleep, even despite like the good sleep hygiene. Is it a dopamine issue? Of course, it's not going to be one thing, but I think that's a really interesting connection that I don't think has really been talked about. I haven't heard, I, I mean, I've learned about it, but I don't, I don't see it or hear it talked about, at least on social media podcasts. Yeah, no, definitely not. So maybe a dopamine detox for seven days would be a, good, a better thing to try before dosing some melatonin in. Yeah, detox and just, you know, changing your relationship to consumption. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. What about you? I think somewhat the connection to sleep, but more so tied in with dementia and Alzheimer's because for so long we've heard, you know, poor sleep quality can increase your risk for dementia and Alzheimer's, but it's like, but what really is the link there? And now that we know the role that melatonin plays with detoxing the brain, the lymphatic system, which Deanna gets into in the episode, is that the bigger issue? And, you know, sometimes we see people with Alzheimer's uh, maybe they stay up later. Maybe they have night shift work. Maybe they drink alcohol. Like a lot of these things that would dampen the process that the lymphatic system needs to go through where we're cleansing out the brain that we don't want the amyloid plaques building up. And so I think just like that whole circular connection of melatonin, sleep quality, Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see more and more research coming out in that aspect. And I'm I'm excited to see where we go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Melatonin is a fun one. Yeah. So, yeah. So we do talk a little bit more about melatonin today. We also get into hormones and women's health. So Deanna is really passionate about helping women, I think, approach the transition into menopause and beyond. And so we do get into some tips with that. And yeah, so get ready for a colorful ride, which is very appropriate for Dr. Deanna. And if you missed our first episode with her back in January, I would recommend going back and listening to that because it kind of sets up today's episode. So a little bit more about Dr. Deanna Minnick. She is a certified functional medicine practitioner and nutrition scientist, international lecturer, educator, and author with over 20 years of experience in academia and in the food and dietary supplement industries, currently serving as chief science officer at Symphony Natural Health. She has been active as a functional medicine clinician in clinical trials and in her own practice, Food and Spirit. She is the author of six consumer books on wellness topics, four book chapters, and over 50 scientific publications. Her academic background is in nutrition science, including a master of science degree in human nutrition and dietetics from the University of Illinois at Chicago, and a doctorate in medical sciences from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. She has served on the Nutrition Advisory Board for the Institute of Functional Medicine and on the Board of Directors for the American Nutrition Association. Currently, she teaches for the Institute for Functional Medicine, University of Western States, Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and Institute for Brain Potential. Through her talks, workshops, groups, and in-person retreats, she helps people to practically and artfully transform their lives through nutrition and lifestyle. She's always such a pleasure to chat with. I'm excited to bring you this episode. Let's do it. All right, Dr. Deanna Minnick, welcome back to the Biohacker Babes podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me back. Good to be here with both of you. Yes, we were so excited to hear that you were willing to come back on the show. We uh, really enjoyed our conversation earlier this year. Well, I guess it came out in January. So if anyone missed that podcast, go back and listen to that one. We had a really awesome discussion about 
colors in our diet, in our environment, how that's affecting our mood, our gut microbiome diversity. And then we did talk a little bit about melatonin. We started to unpack a very deep conversation on melatonin. So today we're going to jump into a little bit melatonin about melatonin and then get into more women's health and hormones because people are always wondering like, how do I get through this hormonal transition optimally. So a lot to unpack today. So to kick off, so melatonin, right before we hit record, we're talking about how a lot of people think of melatonin as this sleep supplement. And it's not necessarily to initiate sleep, but to regulate sleep, right? It plays a big role with circadian rhythm, but there's a lot going on with the antioxidant properties, the immune properties. And this is actually a perfect discussion for me today, because for anyone that knows my voice can probably hear, I'm actually fighting a little bit of a cold. So I put on blue today because I think blue is supposed to be good for immune. I'm also kind of playing around with some melatonin for the immune side of things. So let's jump into what else is melatonin doing while we're sleeping with the detox, the immune components? Yeah, it's so interesting how melatonin has been associated with sleep and, you know, take more melatonin and you're going to sleep better and faster. You know, I think that sleep is probably one of the lower tier indications for melatonin. Truly, it's a circadian biology regulator. So it is a hormone that is released from the pineal gland, and it's released during darkness. And so it's initiating and it's helping us to regulate our clock genes throughout our entire body, actually. Like at the cellular level, it's programming our cells to be in concert with that circadian rhythm that is tethered to other hormones as well. You know, we're run by the sun and we're run by darkness. So it's helping us to stay in that alignment. Now, a lot of other body systems are also in that alignment, specifically our immune system, our inflammatory immune system. And what's really interesting about sleep, many people have questioned over the years, you know, why do we fall asleep? What's the point of sleep? And, you know, some people say, well, it gives the mind a rest. It gives the brain the ability to process and consolidate memories. And, you know, there's kind of the psychological aspect, but then there's also the pure physiological aspect, which is when you're sleeping at night, it gives the brain a chance to rest in a very physical way. So what happens is the brain cells, the nerve cells start to change a bit to allow for the convection of toxic amyloid peptides and other types of compounds in the brain and to shuttle them out of the brain through the glymphatic fluid. Now, this is somewhat of a newer concept, although not completely brand new. We know that the glymphatic fluid and that flux is more active at night. And so it appears from some very early, I would say, preclinical research, because it's very difficult to do that kind of work in humans, that melatonin may actually be playing a role in the the transport of these amyloid peptides from the brain into the glymphatic fluid. So what's interesting in that way is that, you know, melatonin flexes in its chemical configuration. So it's fat soluble. It's also water soluble. So it can cross the blood brain barrier. So it makes perfect sense to me that it would be active in something like transporting toxic metabolites out of the brain because it has the ability to be water soluble and fat soluble. So it's 
seen as, you know, having those properties and therefore giving it this function. So I think that that's kind of neat. And, uh, you know, just to think that, wow, we could be taking melatonin, or at least looking at our melatonin production by way of just helping our brain to detoxify better. Mm. Oh, I just is that the connection with maybe some of the research on dementia and melatonin? It's thoughts out there. Yes, you two are syncing up. Yes. And so helping the brain, exactly, because you're connecting the dots with the toxic amyloid protein, right? So amyloid beta being one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease, as well as hyperphosphorylated tau proteins. So some of these things, you know, they're just building up and then they need to clear Insulin helps us to clear. So during the day, we're trying to manage that with insulin. But at nighttime, when we're not eating, you know, I think that what happens is melatonin steps in and perhaps other compounds as well to help to facilitate that process. And what's also really interesting, just to add to the mix, you know, when I say other compounds, it looks like there's one study that came out fairly recently in which they showed that melatonin production was highest at 2 a.m. compared to some of the other time points at night or in the early morning. And what was also tracking very high at 2 a.m. was glutathione, superoxide dismutase, and some of the other antioxidant defense enzymes. So it's almost like the body gets engaged in this rejuvenation and repair process at night Because during the day, we're active and we don't really have the time to recoup, regenerate, kind of get our brain into renewal, right? Because it's too active. So it's kind of interesting to me that glutathione seems to be connected as well, or at least tracking at the same time with melatonin. And we know that glutathione is a very powerful antioxidant, very good for a number of different things related to detoxification. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. The the two a.m. because it's ten p.m. to two a.m. is more of the physical rest, and then we switch over more into the the brain rest and taking out the trash. Correct? Yes, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, brainwashing is what it's been referred to, even in the literature. The right? Good kind of brainwashing. Washing, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm curious with melatonin, just to go a step further with dementia, Alzheimer's. If you're seeing maybe a genetic component for people that have ApoE three or three four or just the four. Is there a connection on levels of melatonin? Are we seeing more or less in people that are predisposed to those neurodegenerative conditions overnight? Is that something that you've looked at? Well, we know for sure that there's a connection between Alzheimer's disease risk and sleep, sleep disturbance, that there's a connection there. I think that the connection further on with melatonin hasn't really been, I would say, foundationally, causally been connected in, but we can kind of infer that there's something going on here because if we look at Alzheimer's disease and even other neurodegenerative conditions like Parkinson's, we see that there's a strong inflammatory component. And one of the things we know as well about melatonin, especially phytomelatonin or plant melatonin, is that it's highly anti-inflammatory. It's pretty robust and it's also very potent in its antioxidant capacity. It's produced by the mitochondria. So the mitochondria is often seen as that nexus point for our nervous system, right? Our our nervous and metabolic systems. So that starts to go awry in neurodegenerative conditions and even some of the autoimmune conditions like multiple sclerosis that have that nerve interface. So I think we can more or less loosely infer that there is a connection in 
Although, you know, we don't know for sure that there's a causal link that low melatonin throughout one's life is the main factor. It might be one of the contributing factors along with a number of other things like diet, lifestyle. How do we um, actually express our genes? How do we deal with melatonin in our bodies? Are we plummeting earlier in life than is the normal curve, right? Because we produce a lot of melatonin as a child. And then like a roller coaster, it starts to come down with puberty, middle age. And by the time we hit our mid-50s, we're in the ditch. You know, we're in the ditch on our melatonin that's produced endogenously. That's not what we're taking in, but endogenously what our pineal gland is producing. So if you look at the rise of a number of those chronic diseases, things like neurodegenerative conditions, things like even cardiovascular disease or changes that are related to hormones, we start to see that those are on the increase. So I I think melatonin is part of the big picture, together with declining estrogen in women, declining progesterone, declining testosterone, adrenal hormone imbalance. I mean, hormones are like a web. So if you start to change melatonin and you're tugging on that part of the web, you're going to be tugging on the web of other hormones as well, because they're also orchestrated through the circadian rhythm, you know, thyroid hormone in those early morning hours, cortisol in the the early morning together with testosterone. So we have this very delicate web. And once we start to pull on one of those hormones, because it's dysregulated, because let's just say like we have darkness deficiency. So we have all this artificial light exposure at night. Now we're changing melatonin. Well, then that's going to shuffle on through. And now we may have changes in cortisol, testosterone. We might have greater depletion or dysregulation. So, you know, hormones are communicators, right? There are emotional sensors. They tell us how we're connecting into the environment and communicating. And, you know, I think that artificial light is one of the biggest endocrine disruptors that is societally accepted. You know, it's kind of cool to be on your screen, be scrolling, you know, look at how our posture is changing with technology, you know, having the, the, the forward head. Uh, I see it every time I go to my chiropractor's office, he's like, do you have tech neck? He's got this great poster. So, you know, we're changing as a species, like all of that light at night is dysregulating our hormones. So I would even just say to start there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, personal question, because I've always been a, a lighter sleeper. I'm a dolphin and um, I'm not looking forward to the downtrend of both melatonin and progesterone. I'm like, my sleep is not going to be good. So what lifestyle behaviors other than avoiding blue light at night, like good sleep hygiene, is there anything else that we can do? Maybe things to support natural cortisol rhythm or anything kind of in the outlier area that we should be looking at to support or maybe just optimize that natural downtrend around 40, 50? Okay. I have to admit, sometimes I struggle to stay productive through the afternoon and I'm quite often tempted to have that second cup of coffee, but I know it's totally going to destroy my sleep. So I'm always in this big predicament of what to do. You know, the big question is how can I stay energized and focused, get all of my work done in the afternoon? Well, thankfully I found this little magic elixir shot called Magic Mind I get a little afternoon boost without negatively impacting my sleep. It's really a win-win. So you're probably wondering, okay, what is in this little magic elixir you're talking about? So first of all, there's matcha, which contains way less caffeine than coffee. It also contains beneficial compounds like catechins, as well as L-theanine. So these are going to support that slow, steady energy rather than the quick rise and fall of energy that we typically experience with a cup of coffee. 
There's also Bacopa. It's a nootropic to improve attention span and the ability to learn new information. Ashwagandha, an adaptogen that reduces stress and anxiety. Rhodiola, this is a nootropic and adaptogen, so it helps to reduce fatigue and anxiety. It also boosts your resistance to stress, increases physical and mental endurance, and supports mental clarity. And last but not least, we have some very powerful mushrooms. We have lion's mane and cordyceps. So lots of incredible ingredients packed into this little bottle called Magic Mind. So if you're curious to experiment with it, I found two helpful ways to do so. You can drink it alongside your cup of coffee in the morning. That's going to help prevent any crash you would get from the coffee. Or what I typically do is save it for a post-lunch treat. And this is going to replace any extra cup of coffee or anything you would have after lunch just to give you that smooth city energy for the rest of the day. All right, so if you want to try it out, you can head over to magicmind.com slash Renee Lauren, all one word. I'm going to put this in the show notes. So it's magicmind.com slash Renee Lauren, all one word. And if you want to get 50% off your subscription for the next 10 days, you can actually use code Renee Lauren 20, the number 20 at checkout. So Renee Lauren 20 at checkout. Again, that's going to be in the show notes for today's episode. So make sure you scroll down to find that and let's get back to the show. Yes, um, definitely. So some of them might be obvious to you, but let's state them anyway. Yeah, so the, the precursors for neurotransmitters, for the most part, are proteins. So making sure that we have consistent amounts of protein throughout the day is so important because protein forms the basis for things like catecholamines, stress response. So if we're constantly exhausting our stress response, we're going to be using up a lot of our energy reserves and a lot of the proteins and other things that we need from a nutritional point of view in order to replenish. So I would say protein, you know, get the protein just as a foundation. And as you both probably know, there's a lot of talk right now about reevaluating dietary protein intake. Maybe we need more as we get older. You know, we need to fortify that lean body mass, right? Because our muscle health is connected to our mitochondria, is connected to our metabolic rate, is connected to insulin. And so insulin is a hormone that's connected to cortisol. So it's all connected, right? So dietary protein is key. The second thing is healthy quality fat. And this cannot be stressed enough, I think, because fat provides the backbone for hormones. So cholesterol initiates that entire sex steroid web going into progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, even the glucocorticoids, mineralocorticoids. So making sure that we have healthy levels of fats. And I think for some women, they're afraid of having dietary fat. You know, we have had these messages around don't eat cholesterol, you know, but actually... Cholesterol can be, um, it, it depends on the individual and where they're at and what the quality of the foods that they're eating that are providing those different compounds. But we need to really just be thinking about the basics. The third piece of this is, I would say, plants, targeted plants to help our adaptogenic response. I'm a huge advocate of plants. I know that right now there's a lot of talk about anti-nutrients. I think that with plants, we have to do a couple of things. We have to prepare them well. Right. And I think because plants are so intelligent, they're signaling things in our body that might be awry. So if we are sensitive to oxalates, is that really a mineral insufficiency or deficiency that's being signaled? Or is there an imbalance with kidney function or dysfunction? Uh, If we have issues with lectins, like in legumes, is it because we didn't cook the beans well enough? Do we have dysbiosis? Do we already have leaky gut and autoimmune conditions? So it's kind of like 
adding uh, gasoline to the fire, right? (laughs) It's like, so I I think that cooking and preparing the food, but these plants are informing us in our stress response. And certain ones, especially things like maca, maca phenotypes that are very specific. And what I have come to know about maca is that you get colors of maca. I always talk about colors of the rainbow and how each color is a connection into its function. Same thing with maca. I never knew so much about maca until just the last year when I started taking feminescence, which helped me with nourishing my own body's endocrine system. So what we know about certain maca phenotypes is not only are they adaptogenic and they help with stress response, but they can help to nourish the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid adrenal ovarian access and help with a slight bump in things like estrogen and progesterone. So some plants are phytoestrogens, like if I think of soy or red clover, you know, certain things are just phytoestrogenic, like flax lignans. I actually, you know, we we can talk about soy if you want, because I think it's a supercharged topic. I get asked about it all the time. You know, I think that there's a phytoestrogen approach where we have lookalike compounds. And then we have things like with the maca phenotypes, like feminescence and this kind of product where it's actually changing the endocrine system signaling the biofeedback, right? It's not a lookalike. It's doing something to the brain to change the rewiring. So maybe, you know, from that Mm. perspective, we think about um, synthesis, transport, activity, metabolism, and excretion. because the the other piece of of hormones lauren that i didn't address at least in terms of input is the output and for some women because their gut is in disarray their metabolism maybe they have certain gene variants that don't make them metabolize hormones very well they start to have all kinds of problems and i often think that women in their early years that had issues with their menstrual cycle we need to look at you know what are their metabolic gene variants for estrogen, because sometimes it's not the estrogen, it's the actual estrogen metabolites that are causing the imbalance and a lot of the genotoxic effects. So it's everything. It's like how our bodies are making the hormones, how we're responding to the hormones and how we're excreting the hormones by way of liver, gut, and even putting the bile in there somewhere, right? That's all important for the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And before we hit record today, we we were briefly talking about hormones, and I know you're so passionate about this topic, which is so awesome. What what has been like the biggest surprise for you, maybe in your personal journey or the women that you've worked with or talked with? Like, what's the big big shocker there? I'll give you one for myself, and then one for the other people in my sphere and who I talk with and who I work with. For myself, I mean, since I was a child, so unlike you, Lauren, I've always slept like a rock. Like literally, I could have. (laughs) Amazing. And in fact, I've actually tested my melatonin and my melatonin tracks really well. My estrogen and progesterone are low, but my melatonin tracks really well, actually. So I don't know if it's because of melatonin, but I've just by my own nature, since I was a child, since I was a baby, I've always slept well. So within the past, I would say two years, I noticed that my sleep was changing. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I need my sleep. I need my eight to nine hours. So just within the past six months, things got worse. And I started having vasomotor symptoms. I never thought I would be the woman that would actually get the hot flashes. I was always thinking like, oh yeah, that's because, you know, people aren't eating a healthy diet or maybe they're not exercising. I do all that stuff. 
I do all that stuff. And so, but what I also know is that I have a family history of cardiovascular disease. I mean, most of us do because it's pretty rampant, but having vasomotor symptoms like hot flushes, night sweats, this is actually connected into cardiovascular disease risk. So I began looking under the hood, just even at my own biology and having to amp up what I'm doing for my heart. I've never thought about my heart and my sleep so much until the past six months. So I did start taking melatonin, which had helped. And I, I must admit, I took a higher dose of melatonin. I took herbatonin at, I took six milligrams. So I took two, three milligrams. You know, normally I'm advocating like low dose for people, except there may be some times when you've got more in the way of potholes in how you're operating, right? Like where you actually need a little bit more replenishment. So I'm saying that for myself, not for other people. And it's nothing that I'm doing like every day. I'm not doing a high dose, but you know, I I just feel like I needed more of that anti-inflammatory support and it helped me significantly. It helped me significantly. I also decided to make the um, decision to go on bioidentical hormones. So doing things like not oral estrogen, but transdermal estrogen, and also taking micronized progesterone. I felt like one of the other things that I was hearing from a lot of women, because I have a circle of women friends that are in their 60s and 70s, and their biggest complaint was their bones. And if I thought, if I think about it, like within the three to five years of perimenopause, a woman is using a, losing a significant amount of bone mineral density right? It's, it's going yeah. down and it continues to go down. So this will plague her for the rest of her life. So I was already doing a number of things to help me like the feminescence, which has known bone mineral density effects. Like I was eating a healthy diet full of plants that would help me with phytoestrogens. Like I was already checking these, these things, but also knowing that I have a history of osteoporosis in my family and osteopenia. I've already had a DEXA. I just have started to think more long-term and listening to these women that are now complaining about musculoskeletal things, it's not hot flashes for them. It's like, no, my aching bone. And these women are healthy. These women have been active. Now, they might be a little bit more on the slight side, like where they have a more petite frame or, you know, um, again, they're just more active. You wouldn't anticipate that these women would have issues with bones. But, you know, now they're saying like, oh, my goodness, if I would have known what I know now about my bones, I would have gone back and done things differently. So I'm being proactive at Mm. 52 to kind of be sure that I'm filling these potholes, addressing things from a plant perspective and having to pivot sometimes through the perimenopause. It's like this, you know, estrogen and progesterone are like, they're low, but they're still like, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of irregular. So sometimes you have to pivot. And I had to do that with the herbatonin that I was taking for sleep. I needed to pivot to a higher dose. Now, again, I'm not going to do that forever, but it is something where it's just like, sometimes you're going through that transition. You're going to be a bit more wobbly in your physiology. So that was a surprise for me. I must say, I didn't think I would be one of those people that would get hot flashes. I thought, oh no, you know, I'm already doing a bunch of things, but I'm actually very grateful. And I do think that our body gives us messengers, like messengers of it's communicating with us all the time about how we need to course correct. And so I don't take it in a negative way. I take it in a way of like, okay, let's pause, reconfigure, 
I'm 52 now. What do I need to do now versus when I was 42? You know, I was a yoga person for my my whole life. Since I was 19, I was taking yoga classes. I even became a yoga teacher. Now I realize yoga did not help me with my bone strengthening. It helped me to be flexible, but not strong in the way that I now need to focus. So I need to pivot. I'm doing more strength training. So across the board, my whole life is changing through the perimenopause and showing me what I need to do to prepare for this next phase of the rest of my life. All right, biohackers, I'm not supposed to confess this to you, but screw it. Do you want to hear what my real sleep routine sounds like sometimes? I curl up in bed, lights on, they may be red lights, but they're lights, phone on, sometimes good old Netflix playing on the TV. And you know what I call this little catastrophe cocktail? Well, my nervous system certainly doesn't think it's winding down and I've earned it, right? Look, we've all been there. It's an endless cycle that just keeps repeating itself. I know sometimes I think one more thing, one more thing, and then I'll put my phone down. What happens is we wake up with more brain fatigue the next day, which makes us more prone to make poor decisions again on crappy sleep. And it's just like Groundhog Day without the happy ending in Bill Murray. But today, I finally got the happy ending. <laughs> no, kidding. I'm, I'm actually having one of my raddest days ever, and it's all because of buy optimizers. I mean, who else would it be than those guys? Man, they have a great track record of always nailing it. So what do they do? Well, they create a little sleep hygiene ritual that involves a delicious little beverage that will knock you on your bottom with the healthiest non-habit-forming ingredients. You've heard us rave about Magnesium Breakthrough, and it's awesome because we have the same brains and magic behind this one, Sleep Breakthrough. It's just like that. So the reason you're not sleeping is, of course, lack of good sleep hygiene, but also could be nutrient deficiencies in the ingredients that we need to get into deep restorative sleep. If you want to learn more, you can go to sleepbreakthrough.com backslash biohackerbabes and get yourself an education that will change your life. It sure did for us. Trust me, we don't want to put this off any longer. Sleep is our superpower, but a lot of us are doing it really wrong. The real fix is finally here, and you know that we love our sleep, so we would not say that lightly. Go to sleepbreakthrough.com backslash biohackerbabes and use code biohackerbabes10 to get a surprisingly cool free gift too. That's sleepbreakthrough.com backslash biohackerbabes to learn all about these amazing ingredients and formulation and a delicious nighttime cocktail. All right, biohackers, let's get back to the show. Mm. Yeah. And I'm sure there will be another phase, right? Like life <laughs> is dynamic, our bodies are dynamic. Good news and bad news, people. <laughs> it keep changing, but it's dynamic, yeah. right? That's yeah. hormones. <laughs> yeah. So for we're speaking specifically to our women that go through this hormonal change. I think there's more coming out about cycle syncing for cycling women, like leaning into the curves throughout the month, you know, accepting a little more rest at the end, pushing hard women when we can, but then women get to perimenopause, the ups and downs are like, I don't know. Like from an emotional perspective, how do we lean into and be okay with those changes? Because I think it's really important what you said. It's not that we've done something bad or that it's wrong. It's a lesson or it's, it's teaching us that we just there's something else. There's another opportunity. How do we reframe that and listen to those signals? Because I think people can get really lost, especially in the perimenopausal fluctuations. Yeah. Okay. And just to go back a little bit, because I don't think that both of you know this about me in the way of, I think we, we talked about it briefly last time, but um, I've always had reproductive issues. So when I was a teenager, 
the endometriosis started, like every month was full of pain for me. So like, if, if I think of my body messenger, which one, which organ system has it been? It's been my reproductive system. So every month has been something that I've struggled with, you know, in varying degrees. So one of the things that came in for me in my late 20s and into my 30s, when I was really at the peak of experiencing some other issues related to the endometriosis, like I had a blocked fallopian tube. And, you know, I have to say that I was, if, if we look even psychologically, I was used to operating in a very, I would say, assertive, scientific, heady way about my body. You know, I spent a lot of my years in school. Everything was in the head. It wasn't, I mean, I was always very heart centered, but my head would override a lot of that. So I realized that in my late twenties and thirties, I was doing so many different things. I was doing acupuncture, chiropractic. That's actually how I met my husband is I was doing acupuncture. Um, I was doing goodness gracious, energy healing. I mean, you name it, I've done my abdominal massage. I mean, I was exploring everything because I was still having these issues with my reproductive tract. And then I began painting. I realized that and as I got together with my husband, he also, he's a musician by night, I would say just for fun, that's his hobby. And so as he would play music, I would notice I would start painting and doing more artistic things. And I didn't realize this. It was him that noticed, but he's like, Deanna, you're putting your ovaries and your uterus all over the house on your paintings. Like it's all like, you know, swirls and, and I didn't realize I was doing this, but once Mark had mentioned that I realized, oh my gosh, there's an opportunity. My body is speaking to me. So I began to proactively paint and connect with my body in these nonverbal ways. Like, you know, some people need to talk things out. I'm not a talker. I think I'm a like, um, I'm a visual person. I love graphics. I love imagery. I love art. And so I needed to paint out what I couldn't get out by words. And eventually I resolved a lot of my reproductive issues. And, but, you know, it wasn't just the art, it was probably everything combined, right? But eventually I got to a really good place. So then I had this great period and then all of a sudden perimenopause hit. <laughs> so then it's like, whoa, like I got to go through all this again. Like I have to recalibrate. And like, so, what I would say to women out there that are kind of looking at this transition in their lives, and I know for women, it's starting earlier. It's starting in their 30s, not in their 40s, right? Or any kind of menstrual dysregulation. I kind of feel like it's a call to really be in our creative self in a very heightened way. And even for me going through perimenopause, I need to figure out, you know, what is my particular emotional, mental platform now? Is it the same art that I was making? I don't feel like it's that. It's it's changing. So I would say for all women, um, as they move from their reproductive creative years in their physical body into their, I would say, less physically creative and more mentally and emotionally creative years like the 40s, 50s and beyond, like what is that book that you want to write that has been gnawing at you? Is it the memoir that you finally feel like now it's time, you're ripe for it? Kids are out of the house, you've got some alone time. Is it more journaling? Is it being together in a women's group and sharing in community? I was talking with my mom the other day and she's in her mid 70s and you know, just even thinking about like, she's redefining her purpose and meaning, right? Like we, we constantly need to redefine purpose and meaning whenever we're feeling kind of like that lost sense of not being anchored in, like it's a call to explore and discover. 
And sometimes it's pretty tumultuous. I'll give you that. It's not always, you know, um, sometimes it's a tsunami and sometimes it's like waves in the ocean. And sometimes it's like a rolling, just a ripple effect for every woman. It's going to be very different. So we just, you know, how can we honor that? How can we try out different things to see what really resonates for us? Yeah. Yeah. Good content think, for some, uh, painting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I yeah. The, the you don't know what's going to come side. out. Yes. Yeah. Um, and actually I just finished Dr. Isabella Wentz's book, the adrenal transformation protocol. Mm. And she has a whole section about creativity and how like that is part of the healing process, whether it's painting, journaling, writing, dancing, whatever that is. But I love that she includes that because it's like, okay, yes, eat the diet, do the exercise, take the supplements. But what are you doing to be creative on a daily basis? And I think that's overlooked a lot for women. So I love that you you bring that uh, um, point up. And and the purpose too. I think I heard you speak, maybe it was on a podcast or something about the importance of purpose. And I think you said if, if we could bottle it, in a supplement. Yeah, I did say that. <laughs> yeah. If you could bottle purpose in a supplement, it would maybe be the number one thing. And even all the blue zones, right? They all have a purpose. purpose. They wake up every morning. They know why they're here. So how do we help people discover their purpose more? Do you have any tips for that? You know, I think sometimes it requires getting a coach. Sometimes you can't yeah. see out of yourself, right? You've got blind spots. And even for all of the health practitioners out there who are like, oh, I know how to do this. I teach other people how to do it. Sometimes you just need a coach. And you need to try on different kinds of coaches. You know, sometimes your friends are great and supportive, but, you know, they're not the ones that are going to be kind of uh, getting you to like challenging you in certain ways. Some friends will, but I do think that a coach with a structured process of self-discovery can be really important for that. And creativity to me is, is part of healing, right? I mean, we used to call it the healing arts, but now we call the the aspect of healing like private practice or clinical practice and to me it's an art there's a science there's an art there and when i think of creativity i think of flow flow is a very um it's juicy it's yin it gets us into the water element which is all about fluidity right and perhaps we need to embrace that fluidity so i i don't know i can't be prescriptive for every woman in that way it's almost like they have to honor that water element within them. Like, where do they feel called? Is it moving into, you know, you see something online and it's like, oh, that looks kind of interesting. Go with your intuition. This is the time when intuition is ripe because the hormones are kind of recalibrating, right? And it's like, there's a lot of surface noise. And so coming into that pause, coming into the menopause, coming into the melatonopause, the andropause, it's kind of clearing the hormonal noise to enable us to allow other things to speak forward and to direct us like the base of our intuition and marrying that with our intellect, right? Because for many of us, we've been really heady most of our lives and now where it's it's like, okay, now I get to explore other things. So just allow yourself to just dabble and like sign up for a course that you normally wouldn't have signed up for, right? Like just anything that is grabbing you at least initially, because you just never know where it's going to take you. You never know the different doorways you're going to go through. And eventually mm-hmm. you'll get to that key 
that unlocks the door of like, oh, here I am. This is this transformation. And, you know, sometimes it's not the destination. This will sound trite, but it's not the destination. It's truly the journey. So Maureen Murdoch has written a wonderful book called The Heroine's Journey. I've actually had the opportunity to meet with her and she's lovely. She has a workbook and she has a book that you can have. And she talks about how the heroine's journey is different from the hero's journey. So we think of Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. But for women, it's it's a bit of a different process. And she has a way that she talks about that in her book. And also, I've been pulling out of my library other books by important women in, that I consider to be very influential. People like Carolyn Mace. I pulled out my books from Jean Shinoda Bolin, who has this beautiful book called Goddesses in Every Woman. And she talks about the goddess archetypes and how our goddess archetypes, they change, right? So as, as a 20-year-old, I was like an Artemis. I was really independent, focused, goal-oriented. Well, as a 52-year-old, I'm, I'm not the Artemis. I'm more of the Demeter. Uh, Demeter is like the goddess of nourishment and healing and support. And, you know, so, you know, she has some beautiful tools and questionnaires in order for you to get into that. Uh, You know, everybody, so all of these books, you know, Sark has some lovely creative books, you know, whatever just kind of feels, you know, wherever your curiosity is taking you, I think that that's really important. Definitely honoring the curiosity and the intuition. I'm curious how, as a thread that leans back into a woman feeling maybe a little more confident going through that transition, because it can feel a little bit like, where are my feet on the ground? I've always had this control over cycle or control over my exercise nutrition. And it's such a life lesson, right? To just relinquish a little bit of that control and be more in flow? Do you find that emotionally finding these archetypes or finding more creativity allows us to just be a little bit more and and trust? Yes. That's actually very insightful that you just triggered some neurons in my own brain matter of, you know, really focusing on like the control aspect of having a cycle that we are tethered to and we feel a sense of control and structure. And then all of a sudden our menstrual cycle's gone. It's like the floodgate has been open. It's like, no, it's free form. And it's uh, you know, we we need to find our bearings. And often we can find our bearings and that sense of structure through that process of what you're alluding to, you know, the surrender and reestablishing a different baseline for ourselves. So I you know, and again, exploring that with a teacher, exploring that with a group. And for women that feel a little bit more in control of what's going on, and maybe they don't feel the same, like acceleration of perimenopausal complaints, like they don't have the loss of libido, they don't have the joint pain, they don't have the brain fog, they don't have the mood swings, like they're not dealing with a lot of that stuff. I think it would be wonderful to have those women help with supporting women that are feeling that sense of that transition to also be within that community because all women have their personalized journeys and some of them are going to feel like pedal to the metal. Oh my gosh, what just happened? Why is this happening to me? I never expected this. And then you're going to have other women who are like, oh, I'm dealing with this just fine. I don't know what all these women are talking about. Then you have you know, other women that, you know, maybe children are leaving home. There are other things that are happening for them. Um, Every woman has their personalized journey. And I think it's really beautiful to share that in the context of other women and to share the learnings because, you know, we each reflect to each other certain pearls of wisdom. 
And so um, it's just beautiful to have that all come together and in, into that kind of tapestry. Wow, I never thought we'd yeah. be talking about all these things. They're kind of <laughs> <laughs> that's my dog plan. It comes back. <laughs> Longevity. We need community. We have to share, right? We're all different pieces of the puzzle. We are. Mm-hmm. And okay, so that word longevity, you know, one of the things I think about, and especially with women, is this whole topic of aging that's coming out and how people are talking about anti-aging. And for some women, they feel as though like they're losing their sense of their vitality, their beauty, their sense of um just having like a a connection to the world in the way that they are used to. And I, I think it's all really good to be talking about vitality and longevity because, you know, we have the lifespan, which is chronological, but then we have the health span, which is about our vitality and our reserves. And what I think can be really important in that process is to look at inflammation, right? Inflammation is physical. Inflammation is psychological. So during the perimenopause, we have heightened states of inflammation, again, especially in those women with vasomotor symptoms, because we're seeing more cardiovascular disease issues underlying that. So getting a handle on inflammation, I think, as a bedrock of many different chronic diseases would start to crop up in our later years, and also have a certain psychological phenotype. You know, somebody who's inflamed might be more impulsive, you know, there's some literature on that. So when we're in that more inflammatory state, we're less in the mindset of being intentional or being able to choose. It's like we're reacting, you know, like that inflammation is coming out. So I think that one of the keys to healthy longevity, vitality, helping women and men into their later years is always being connected into how healthy is their body with respect to inflammation, inflammation of body, mind, emotions, you know, there's inflammation is rampant these days. I was just talking with a good friend of mine last night and we were talking about the world is so different now. There's so much inflammation. There's so much charge. There's so much polarity. And so sometimes we can take that on and we start to feel it in our bodies. You know, we go to the grocery store or we're in traffic or even through our work life. So I guess the question is, you know, if we have inflammation in our bodies, what are we irritable about? What are we upset about? And I would say to your point, Lauren, you know, how can we be more in the, bring in the water element to complement the fire element in order to flow, surrender, and be a bit more accepting in that moment of time? Mm. Yeah. And also cool off inflammation. Sorry, to right. just, I have, this when I see really angry people, I'm like, oh, you must be inflamed, right? Because we don't that's right. We don't subscribe to the monoamine theory anymore, where it's just neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are downstream of the immune system and inflammation. So when I see angry people, I'm like, you need an anti-inflammatory diet. That's right. <laughs> like, and, and, a- and some people get angry from from angry people. It's like the fire spreads. So to be really conscious and conscientious, like somebody cut you off in traffic, like rather than carrying that on into a bad mood through the day, it's like, don't let the inflammation spread. Just say to yourself, that person's probably inflamed. They're probably in a hurry. They're probably, you know, impatient from so many, you know, just to direct more of that loving kindness and acceptance is a good practice, right? You know, I I had a yoga teacher many years ago. She said, you have to train your brain. You have to change your perspective because even stress is all about perspective, right? It's just about 
how your hypothalamus and pituitary gland are connecting in to this environmental signal. You know, the amygdala is, you know, ramped up with something and you can control it like through your perspective. Now that doesn't mean we should be Pollyanna-ish and just positive all the time for the sake of being positive. I think that we also need to flow with and just let things out. But then also, I, I like, I, I think I recall Carolyn May saying this in one of her interviews a long time ago. She's like, it's never that I am not getting angry. It's that I'm actually coming back from the anger quicker, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you acknowledge the emotions, you let them flow through so that they can dissipate. Like you can actually come back like a rubber band to your original state faster. This is resilience. This is actually a term in the literature we know as resilience, right? Like as we get older, being that our brain and our behavior have have been shaped over the years, we need to find ways to become more resilient. Sometimes we can even do that through the help of plants, you know, adaptogens, again, back to them to help us. And, um, and cold know, plunges and exercise cold plunges, and all kinds of, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's all, <laughs> Although all, how quick do we recover, right? How quick do we recover and, and shortening that time frame every time? I mean, to me, that's, that's successful aging. You know, when we have this huge gap of like getting inflamed because of an interaction with a person and then not being able to recover for three days, like the more we can shorten that next time, because it's not like we're never going to have an outburst or an angry episode or something that triggers us, but let's not let the trigger take our power, right? Like look at it, feel it, work it through, and then collapse that into like present momentness of our completion and like where we're, where we are at that like um, full state of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual unity. Yeah. Easier said than done. Easier yeah. said than done. This is, it's a practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is actually really funny timing. I'm watching this show on Netflix. Actually, Lauren recommended it to me called Beef. I don't know if you've oh, heard of it, Tina. I think I've Ten heard of it. hours of anger. It starts <laughs> with it starts with road rage between two strangers, and then it just keeps going. And so I, now I'm thinking of like the inflammation that's going on between these two characters, but it shows the backstories of like why they are truly unhappy in their lives and why the road rage was like the tipping point. So it's it's a kind oh, of funny show, but it's also a little frightening. But yeah. Anyways, it gives perspective, right? It you know, does, often I wonder, does. like mm-hmm. when we when we watch movies and episodes and things like that, to also be attentive to our own psyche, right? Because like even though we're not experiencing it, we're still feeling it. Oh, like our definitely. emotions are. And and often when I do detoxes with people, I I will say like, what are you watching? What are you listening to? Because it's all informing us, right? So if we don't have kind of like you're watching it in a very intentional place, you're observing it and you find it interesting, right? But I think for many people, there's a lack of awareness around like the impact of, this is why I never watch scary movies. I never watch any horror movies because sometimes that just like creates a wormhole and you just go back and you can remember scary movies when you least expect it. (laughs) Yeah. Usually when you're home alone participate than be an observer and yet never home alone. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this is so fun. Yeah. Well, um, I know we're coming close to the end of our time. I wanted to circle back with, you know, melatonin and hormones, you know, for women, how, how do we dose this? Like, 
I know you said sometimes you'll do six milligrams, but you don't do it every night Like for women transitioning through this phase. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I was even looking at some literature yesterday that was really interesting. So if we look at um, what dose do you need to replenish your levels that you're losing with age, it would seem to amount to about 0.3 milligrams to no more than one milligram. So, but basically you can get an effect at 0.3 milligrams. So that's a physiologic dose and that dose has been shown to be beneficial. And in fact, I was reading an article from 2014 yesterday where they looked at a number of different studies that were done on melatonin supplementation. And that's what they advocated was that taking just, you know, none of these fancy sustained release. And, you know, sometimes when you look at those formulations, they put other things in there to kind of delay. And maybe some of those things aren't healthy. And if we want to mimic the rhythm in the body, you know, having a lower dose in a format that would mimic kind of like how the body would take it in. So the body is not doing the sustained release in terms of like melatonin. I mean, it is through the dim light, But I think when we take melatonin, if we look at the studies, what would be suggested there is to take a format that is more, you know, not in any kind of that format of sustained release, right? Like an immediate release format. So my personal preference is a plant melatonin because a lot of the other melatonins on the market, they're actually synthesized from different chemicals. Sometimes they have fillers or other excipients in them that I would not considered to be beneficial. And there was one study from 2018 in which they identified up to 13 different potential contaminants that can be created as part of that chemical processing of creating melatonin at the synthetic level, right? So you've got that. So then, um, so with a plant melatonin, there aren't many on the market. And the one that I like is called Herbitonin. It's from rice, chlorella, and alfalfa. And it has no excipients. It has no fillers. It is, it's just the plant. So it's actually the the actual plant itself in that matrix form. And it has been shown to outperform that of synthetic melatonin in its anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and even free radical scavenging effects. So that was published in 2021 by a group in Poland where they took herbitonin and they just in cell studies and they just compared them side by side, herbitonin with synthetic melatonin. So anti-inflammatory was increased. 646% with herbitonin, which is so interesting. And I think it's because there are other plant compounds in it, right? It's not just yeah. the melatonin alone. It is also lutein, zeaxanthin. You've got some essential fatty acids in there just by way of it being part of the plant. So I'm always the one that will say, go closer to the plant, go closer to what, how it actually existed in the plant And getting some of that lutein and zeaxanthin is also good for the eye and can help to prevent against a lot of that blue light damage. Now, the doses of lutein and zeaxanthin in that herbitonin may not be significant, um, you know, still kind of small because they're just in smaller amounts in the plant, but still can be helpful, right? Mm -hmm. At least we're not taking away from um, the eye and and damaging the eye. So I think a 0.3 milligram physiologic replenishing dose for people in middle age to be taken over time. And again, my preference is the Herbitonin. I do work with the company. I think they're great. I know their quality processes. I know how, you know, you have to sometimes know behind the scenes in terms of the integrity of how something is done and how it's manufactured. 
all of those things. And I've been in the dietary supplement industry long enough to know that there can be many steps where things go wrong. So overall, that is my preference is to have herbatonin because of its ability to outperform that of synthetic melatonin. And it's a super small capsule. It's teeny tiny. So um, it's it not 0.3 in it's one 0. capsule. Correct. Yeah. It's 0. 0.3. I thought I had some on my desk here. I don't. I have it downstairs by um, the rest of my supplements. But yeah, super tiny capsule. And you would just take it like an hour before bedtime. Great. Yeah. Great, great, great information. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Oh, and if you want... So... if you... Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say too, if, if you all need more resources, we published a review paper back in September 2022. And that would give your listeners a lot of the information about format, dosing, um, the different, um, you know, terms that are used in terms of melatonin. Some people ask me, can I eat enough like pistachios or cherries to get enough melatonin, right? And we know that the amount is so minute in those foods and it's not standardized like you would have in a supplement. Mm. So anyway, if that's a value, you you know, you're free to to share it. Definitely. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Amazing information. I, I'm so sad that we have to ask our last question, but quickly, can you leave our audience with the one final piece of advice? Something they can, they can start doing today. I'm going to go with honor your hormones, um, honor the emotional aspects of whatever is bubbling up for you. So um, not to see that, you know, I, I think for uh, much of people's lives, they, they kind of lament their menstrual cycle. They kind of lament, they're like, oh, it's just my hormones. You know, how can we see our hormones as like our biggest, brightest messengers to our emotional wellness? And to do that in whatever way feels really good for you, like your sweet spot of like, what does it mean for you to be creative? Does it mean, you know, listening to music? Does it mean drawing, doodling? Does it mean uh, coloring in a coloring book? Does it mean playing with animals and pets and, you know, just everybody has their own creative DNA. So I would say honor those hormones. You never know where they're going to take you and what kind of beautiful creative expressions that you can uh, unfold as part of that process. That's beautiful. (laughs) I think our hormones can be our superpowers. We just have to accept it and lean into it and find the beauty in all We should make that the title of this podcast. Hormones can be our superpowers. I'm going to coin that from this podcast going forward, Renee. Excellent. (laughs) You made our lives easy. The title was the hardest part. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Can you you tell our our audience where they can find more of you? Sure. They can find uh, more about me on my website, deannaminick.com. And if you are interested in the herbatonin or the feminescence or anything else that I've talked about, symphonynaturalhealth.com would be the website to go and read more about the studies are there and, you know, you can look through that a bit more. So yeah, hope it was helpful, everyone. Yes. Thank you for the resources. Thank you so much. You bet. So lovely to have you again. Thank you. I feel the same. Thanks ladies. Take care. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the biohacker babes podcast. Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.